BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Common Sense with Dr. Ben Carson. I'm your host, Ben Carson, and uh, I'm here with a fascinating guest today. You know, we recently saw the one-year anniversary of the overturning of Roe v. Wade, and, uh, you know, a lot of things have happened since that time. And today we have a special guest who's going to share his testimony and give us some little insight into the abortion industry. Dr. Haywood Robinson, a leading voice in the pro-life movement, serves as the Director of Medical Affairs and Education for 40 Days of Life, which is the largest pro-life organization in the world. He recently wrote a book with his late wife, Dr. Noreen Johnson, The Scalpel and the Soul, our radical transformation as husband and wife abortion doctors. And uh, we're going to anxiously uh, hear about that today. Dr. Robinson, congratulations. And uh, thank you for all that you're doing for our society. And welcome to the show. It's a blessing to be here, Dr. Carson. Uh, you've written many books, you and Candy. And I must say, uh, the first, this was a first for. Noreen and I, and it is an interesting birthing process, but what we want is this to be a testimony to help others come from darkness to light and acknowledge this great Holocaust we're performing on the innocents. Well, you know, maybe you could start out by telling us about the book and why it was important to write. Well, working with the 40 Days for Life, and traveling a lot and speaking, people wanted to know our story. And they would ask, well, don't you have a book? And we recognized that if we wanted to get the whole story out, you, you, you have to write a book. So Noreen started uh, writing a few chapters. I wrote a couple of chapters. And 40 Days for Life uh, worked with us to uh, get Cindy and Dave to work with us as, as consultants and you know, here we are. We talked about doing this about seven, eight years ago, but the Lord had not cleared that in our spirit. And about a year and a half ago, you know, timing is everything with the Lord. Uh, and he said, well, now is the time. And it, and it just so happened that we were able to release it and get it finished just for the first anniversary of Roe v. Wade. So we believe the timing is good. 
and it's God's timing. We feel good about the product and it's just our personal story. It's not an opinion and we're just blessed to share it. When you were training, was there much discussion about the ethics of abortion or was it something that was just kind of swept under the rug? For me, it was swept under the rug. Now, for the obstetrician gynecologist residents, there may have been some discussion, but in training programs, as you know, Dr. Carson, you have visiting services like family practice or rotating services. I did not have any discussion or any opt-in, opt-out uh, opportunities. However, as mentioned in the book, there were a couple of residents that I knew and that were very verbal. And these were OBGYN residents who said they would not participate and they were not given uh, uh, any problem or any grief. They just said they don't want to be involved. Or one of them specifically saying, as we wrote in the book, I'm not going to be a part of killing those babies. And mm. I thought that was very courageous of her. And there was one other young lady, a very strong Christian who who did not participate either. But the overwhelming majority, and, and we did not ridicule them, uh, the overwhelming majority was just uh, go along to get along. And right. me not being a believer, you know, at the time, uh, of course I knew in my heart it's wrong. I think any normal human being uh, who and understands even the slightest bit of biology one knows that an abortion kills and destroys a human life. But we'll talk a little bit later about how one gets to the point where we ignore the obvious. Yeah, well, it is interesting because I, I remember as a medical student wondering about it also. But, you know, having grown up in very liberal areas, Detroit, Boston, New Haven, Ann Arbor, and then coming to Baltimore, you know, all very liberal places. And, you know, I had adopted the, the mindset that maybe it's wrong and maybe I wouldn't do it, but I don't have any right to say anything about anybody else and what they would do. And uh, it was only later when I was thinking about the whole concept of slavery that it dawned on me that if the abolitionists had said, well, I don't believe in slavery, but, you know, you do what you want to do. <laughs> Where would we be today? Yeah, we wouldn't, so. we wouldn't be doing this podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, when you were involved in the abortion industry, what did you think was actually in the mother's womb? I mean, well, we know what's in the mother's womb. Yeah, Dr. Carson, we know what's in the mother's womb, but we're seeing it strictly as a scientific thing. We know that the sperm and the egg come together to make a one-cell human being, and then we wind up with trillions of cells that have differentiated and grown, and you come out with this human being that God puts a spirit in. Uh, but the spiritual things all aside there, what we're talking about is an absolutely miraculous biological process where you go from one cell to all of these trillions of cells in 40 weeks. It's absolutely astounding when you think about it and how complex our human bodies are. Um, but what we tend, what has happened, and this is how the enemy works in our minds, 
And that is we ignore that this is absolutely miraculous. Even if you weren't a believer, you have to accept this is a miraculous thing. There's something sacred and special about it. And if we have laws that protect a fully grown uh, human being at, at 40 weeks where that's born, well, what is it about one that's uh, a bit smaller that's in a least space called a uterus? So they, we yes. do recognize them, the preborn under some conditions, but when we use the term abortion, all of a sudden all the legal protections and, and the interests of the state go away. Yeah, isn't it interesting that uh, they try to ignore the fact that that's a human life, and yet when somebody commits a murder of a pregnant woman, they get charged with two counts. <laughs> you, you took the words right out of my mouth, and the best example, I think we're thinking of the same famous case, was uh, Scott Peterson in San Francisco. He's on death row because he killed yes. his pregnant wife, I believe, who was like 22 weeks pregnant. You know, you just... You can't have it both ways, Dr. Carson. It's either a human being or it's not. And if it was not a human being, Scott Peterson should have only been tried for one murder, not two. Exactly. Well, no one, no, no one ever accused uh, the left of being logical. <laughs> no. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, when you think about what we go through in, in medical school and all the techniques we're taught on how to improve life and how to save life. Does it surprise you that the medical community is so accepting of an anti-life position? Boy, you know, I pondered that thought for many years. How is it that for millennia in modern medicine, uh, we acknowledge that Hippocrates started this modern phase of medicine was of what, around 1200 BC. So we lived under a standard that was not bounded by political organizations or governmental regulation. It was, we were agents of the people, but for some reason, we threw away our long held, highly esteemed acknowledgement of sacred uh, the sacredness of life. I don't understand why we did that. When Roe v. Wade was passed in 1973, I was a junior undergraduate. Now, I don't know what is it. Why would we just sign on as the executioners for Roe v. Wade? I don't understand. There was no pushback. I don't want to mention any organizations uh, which should have um, been standing up for our history for uh, for what we stood for, for for thousands of years. And I had to look at it as the greatest betrayal of the public trust in history to where we just threw everything out of the window and says, no, we're, we're no longer going to protect the preborn. Obstetrics was always known as especially where you had two patients, a mother right. and a baby. But we threw it all out of the window. For what? Yeah. It is, it is very hard to comprehend, to understand. But uh, how much of it in the area of uh, obstetrics has to do with, with money? I mean, <laughs> how profitable is the abortion industry? Well, we know it's very, it's very profitable, and, and I'm glad that more people are starting to use the term industry. 
I also use the term cartel because it's a, it's a complex entity that involves organizations like Planned Parenthood, who receives massive amounts, hundreds of millions of dollars of our tax money. It includes very uh, cooperative um, politicians that facilitate the transfer of our money to these organizations. It involves organized medicine, the alphabet soup of mm -hmm. these organizations, which we need not mention on this podcast. And it involves the, the educate, we call it higher education from undergraduate through medical school that are complicit with the ignoring of the rights of the innocent preborn. Now, the money, of course, this is a cash business. Abortion, you don't have to file insurance, you right. pay. This is one of the only procedures where the people come into your office and they pay first. You pay first, mm -hmm. take the woman back, you take her baby, give her a graham cracker and a couple apple juice and kick them out. It's, it's a horrible thing uh, to watch. I was recently in Los Angeles doing work with uh, my organization, my ministry, 40 Days for Life, and we were standing in front of um, a Planned Parenthood facility, and I watched some of the women come out after having abortions. I'd never really watched women who'd come out because I was always on the inside. And, you know, and the despair, right. the emotional pain, I never really recognized till last mm -hmm. year of what it must be like for a woman who has any, you know, and I know, you know, woman naturally wants to take their child or harm their child in any way, but many are coerced, felt they're not supported. But it, the, the look on their faces is just absolutely um, heartbreaking. I can only imagine. Well, what about the ones who have chemical abortions? How, how safe is, is chemical abortion? Well, that's, it. That's, that's the other thing. Very interestingly, they're selling the uh, the DIY abortion is do it yourself. Oh, it's no big deal. You just take this pill and you go home in the privacy of your home and then you just have a little bit of pancake, a little Tylenol, and everything's going to be okay. Go back to work. Here's your note. This, well, an abortion is, even when you're doing it with a pill, this is a serious procedure. This what we've done with abortion, we've allowed, we call it the abortion distortion, where we set up a whole different set of rules or lack thereof because of abortion. There is no pre-procedure or pre-operative assessment. These women, we have no idea how long they are in pregnancy or their gestational age. The medicine, uh, well, I hate to call it a medicine, is really poison. The poison that they're using to kill the baby is designed to be only used up until about 10 weeks. Women are getting these pills who are far, uh, far more longer or uh, more longer away in their pregnancy than than they expected because they want to take the pill or the easy way out. Uh, right. They've given this pill. They're not told or given any method of how they dis disposition the their baby. Uh, most of them are flushing these babies down the toilet. They're left alone. They're in pain. They're, uh, most 
the people in the audience know what an ectopic pregnancy is. There is no assessment with ultrasound if there's a complication. So what they've done is they've set up uh, just a situation here. This is so harmful to women, but they're not even keeping statistics now to acknowledge adverse effects with this with this poison. So you have, mm -hmm. a, and women are not very prone to come in and get help when they've had complications with abortion because they're shamed. They sure. wanted to be a secret, but it's it's, right. it's 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 not a secret. The woman uh, never forgets their abortion, and it's a dangerous thing. All the standards that we use in standard medicine are are, are thrown out of the window because we want them women to be convinced this is a safe, easy way for abortion. We've got human traffickers, pimps, etc., that keep their own supply of this poison so that when their workers get pregnant, they'll just give them uh, uh, the medical abortion or the chemical abortion pill. It's a sad thing yeah. we have this, uh, this thing available right now. Wow. I wish, uh, I hope a lot of people hear what you just said. That's very impactful. Uh, we will be right back. Stay with us. We'll be right back in one minute with our fascinating guest, Dr. Hayward Robinson. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. We're back with Common Sense. We have Dr. Haywood Robinson with us today. And uh, Dr. Robinson, you know, there are a lot of abortionists who attend church services. You and your wife came to an understanding about abortion and life and the preciousness of life in church. What did you hear that they don't hear? Well, first I want to say that just attending church will not make you a believer no more than if you sleep in the garage, you're going to become a car. You're going to have to go through a, a born-again experience, an experience with Jesus, uh, a Damascus Road experience, you might say. Now, my particular um, conversion was not as dramatic as Damascus Road, but we all have our uh, personal testimony. But when that when that happened, it was the Lord speaking instead of uh, uh, him saying, like he said to Paul, why do you persecute me? Now, the main thing that the Lord pointed out in our lives, and of course, abortion wasn't our only sin, of course not. But because abortion was the thing that the Lord wanted to use my wife and I to fight, that's what he soon got us involved with after 
we became believers and started becoming disciples as Christians. So very soon after uh, coming to the Lord uh, and going through that process of where you're, you're learning how to pray and praying, learning the Word, He put us in situations of, of pro-life ministry. The very first, the very first pro-life ministry I was involved in was a pregnancy resource center. Now this would have been the late '80s. Back then, there were very few pregnancy resource centers. There was no ultrasound. We had a budget of about eleven hundred dollars a month. Can you imagine? And now, of course, we have a lot more, and we have the technology of ultrasound, which many people in the audience may know that when a woman who was abortion prone gets an ultrasound, they have about an eighty percent, eight zero percent rate of conversion when a woman hears and sees their baby and recognizes this is a their baby inside their body because what the pro-death movement was successful in doing is giving a totally dehumanized description of the baby as being some foreign tissue inside the body rather than being a small human being with heart beating toes etc so we were thrown into the pro-life movement and the lord had just blessed us abundantly to be involved with quite a number of pro-life efforts all around the world. And right now, uh, 40 Days for Life is my primary ministry I'm involved in, and it's been a blessing to be involved in something that started right in my hometown, Bryan College Station, Texas, about 100 miles north of Houston. Mm-hmm. And we're really blessed to be a part of that. Was it, uh, was it simultaneous? You and Noreen, or well, see, did one of you go first? Well, see, it's, 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 it was really me. I, I did not know the Lord. I went to church up until the time I went off to college, but Noreen was actually saved uh, by when she was going to the Pentecostal church here in Trinidad uh, with her older brother, and she knew the Lord, but as things go, when you, when you go off to college, you, backsliding is just a common thing. And basically, Absolutely. she remained backslid until I came to the Lord, and she she knew what was happening in me, and it caused a personal revival with her reading the Word and recommitting herself to Christ, and the Lord just worked it out. So we were like two cars converging on the freeway at the same time, going to the same destination, which was really, <laughs> really a blessing to have a co-regent that, you know, where you're really focused do it, you know, are doing the same thing. And uh, interesting enough, Noreen or one of the several physicians or senior residents that actually taught me how to do the procedures that we use when we were moonlighting as abortionists. Mm-hmm. And in the book, you'll now, see that there's an interesting thread of virus or curse within basically within both of our families of how abortion works its way as a virus through a family. Did the uh, fatherhood play a role? Not, well, actually it did, Dr. Carson, because I went to, uh, I, I was saved at this Christian music concert three weeks before uh, Noreen was going to have a repeat C-section uh, for our second child. And I think what the Lord was doing, I recognized that retrospectively now and that is I think the Lord was saying you know this is a transition time 
This is going to be a special child. We're going, this is where your life turns around. Uh, so very soon after that concert, uh, our youngest uh, daughter uh, was born, and that's when everything that's when everything was changing. Because I, I didn't know anything about the Bible or salvation or eternal life, none of that. Uh, and it just so turned out my roommate from medical school was coming to be a part of the delivery who was like our youngest, uh, our youngest godfather. And uh, he was the son of a Pentecostal preacher. So he was very instrumental in leading me into understanding the basics of the gospel. Well, now, how, how did you go from there to being right on the front line of the pro-life movement? Well, I think the Lord does that. Uh, I like to, uh, I enjoy meeting people. I think my testimony, our testimony, being as former uh, abortionists, helped catapult us more into a, a national stage, having that testimony on, on what it was like to be on the inside of it and then what it's like to be set free. Uh, but we also just had a passion. We People, I think, are drawn to people who have passion in the same way that, you know, you, you, you've done so much to change people's understanding and appreciation of of, of neurosurgery because they see it rather than from a scientific, very complex thing, which it is, but they see it through the uh, personhood of a, of a Ben Carson and their, and their personal testimony, not just an isolated profession, so to speak. They see it as your personal ministry. They don't see it as um, uh, an applied science. All right. Well, what do you think about um, the fact that it's so difficult in our country to adopt babies? And what impact does this have on the industry? Why is it so difficult to adopt a baby and so easy to kill a baby? I don't right. understand. It takes thousands, what is it, maybe forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 to adopt a mm -hmm. baby, and there are all kinds of hurdles put up, uh, there are people, you know, when we were at active practice, and, and again, Noreen was with OBGYN, I was in family medicine, you get heartbreaking letter after letter just asking if there's anyone that wants to, you know, have the baby put up for adoption, we're this loving family, and we've been trying, and it, it just breaks your heart. There is no reason whatsoever that we can't fast track or make it more simple the, the whole process of adoption. There's so many young kids out there that, that need a home. There's so many young people that are tied up in, in the foster care system, and they could they could be adopted. They're, I'm not saying, you know, uh, we can't take them all, but we, we need to have the process revamped. Absolutely. Well, maybe there's somebody out there in the listening audience who can put something together and take it on as a mission because uh, we're talking about thousands of lives that could be saved. And 
So there's so many people out there who want a baby. They just want a baby like anything, and they just can't can't get it. So, That's right. Now you know the the work with uh, Forty Days for Life that you do. Uh, what's the significance of that name, Forty Days for Life? Well, as you know, Don Carson, the number forty is commonly found in the Bible in miraculous situations. Mm -hmm. You know, Noah was on the water for 40 days. Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. You know, we could go on and on about. So 40 is a spiritual number. And we thought that, well, the way it turned out, the staff was sitting at a table and we were just kind of frustrated. What are we going to do next in our movement to make a difference in trying to get our Planned Parenthood facility closed in Bryan College Station? And the Lord spoke to one of the members, uh, participants in the meeting, and said, pray and fast for 40 days. And uh, in front, standing just peacefully, prayerfully, quietly, and physically in front of that facility. Sometimes there would only be one or two people, sometimes 10, many times 100 degrees, sometimes raining, but whatever the condition to be there. You know, the prayer, the Bible says the prayers of the righteous availeth much. Right. And I think we don't understand as believers that uh, prayer is something we overlook as, as an instrument for warfare. And we stood there and, it, and, and, and we, instead of shouting uh, 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 epithets and, and negative language to the workers and the director, we, it would be more loving, it would be more... Uh, a, a, a quiet, loving approach. And the Bible says, uh, you know, love covers a multitude of sin. Mm -hmm. And that's why we saw the story, which many people in the audience are aware of, of Abby Johnson right. uh, coming out of there. And now she has a, a, a global ministry to get people healed from the industry working in there and helping women uh, transition out of that type of, uh, that type of work. So it was a simple model. We started in Bryan College Station back in the late 1990s. And do you know, we have almost 700 prayer campaigns. We do it twice a year, mm. 40 days, Mexico, Canada, Central America, United Kingdom, all around the globe, Philippines, and we're still expanding all Very through cool. Europe. So it's, 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 it's amazing. And what I think we've recognized, and we need to also stress to our audience, this is not something that started in 1973 or recently. The harming of innocence and the killing of babies has been going on for millennia. All you need to do is read the Bible, particularly like Second Kings chapter 21, 22. You'll see some very stark descriptions of, of how babies were sacrificed. So the whole notion of harming the innocents is not new. It's something, unfortunately, that we practice uh, now in the time of, in, in the Middle East, in the time of Israel, when they were going through kings and before they were, God released Babylon and then Syria on them, um, they were doing it as a religious practice with coupled with horrible sexual immorality. And it was 
very, very offensive, uh, very, very offensive to God. But the point is, the devil has been motivating human beings to harm innocents for a long, long time. And this is a global holocaust. There are about a million babies that are being aborted in the United States. However, mm-hmm. there are 60 million, six zero million babies that are aborted on the planet. So this is a global world war against the innocent preborns, and we've got to recognize it as such. Absolutely. And the Bible also says in the book of Proverbs, 24th chapter, 11 and 12, that we have a responsibility to protect the innocents who are being drawn unto death. And that, and it says, does not he that seeth everything know what you did? And <laughs> will not everybody be rendered according to what he has done? That's pretty dramatic. But uh, we will be back in just a minute with our fascinating guest, Dr. Haywood Robinson. Stay with us. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. And we are back with Dr. Haywood Robinson. And uh, Dr. Robinson, first of all, your story reminds me so much of Paul in the Bible, <laughs> who was Saul, and then uh, on the road to Damascus, he had this great transformation, and you went from, from killing babies to being right on the front line to saving babies. And isn't, isn't that a manifestation of the God we serve? He's just amazing. I, you know, I look at my own life, and I was an angry teenager with a knife, tried to stab somebody. And what did he do? He took that knife out of my hand and gave me a scalpel to save lives. Amen. <laughs> Thank God for Our that. Our God is an awesome God. Amen. But uh, to what, what has or have you noticed to be the effect on the abortion industry since the Dobbs decision? Well, I think they're a bit more confused. I think they're angry. They want to come out more as heroes now for these women that they say they're protecting their reproductive rights. It's always interesting, the euphemisms that they use to describe killing babies, reproductive (laughs) rights, etc. Even the name Planned Parenthood is a joke, isn't it? Well, they're, they're angry, but we, we have to be more proactive. We can't react to how they're reacting to what the Supreme Court did. Now, I think that decision helped the reputation of the Supreme Court more than it did help the number of abortions to decrease. You've got to accept the truth is the number of abortions actually has not even decreased 50%. Mm. What does that mean? That would mean if we looked at it the same way as slavery or the emancipation 
Approximation and the 14th Amendment, etc. You know, you had a relatively true end to that institution, right? When they overthrew Dred Scott. In this particular sense, that's not the case. We've got to keep the focus on the babies. There's still babies out there by the thousands that are being killed. And yes, we celebrate the overturning of Roe v. Wade. It needed to happen. I think that was a horrible scourge on our on our country, on the institution of the Supreme Court. But the reality of the reality of it is that uh, one baby's life is more important than the reputation of the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court is made of women and men, and humans make errors and sometimes they make horrible, horrible decisions on purpose. So let's stay focused that we've got to do what it takes, whether it, whether it be a personhood amendment or to somehow get the preborn recognized under the 14th Amendment. So every preborn child has their right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness recognized. And when you read the documents of the framers, it's, it's clear that these men were working under Judeo-Christian principles and that they believed that it was uh, these principles were living into ourselves and our posterity. And so we've got to get, we've got to keep working. We've got to recognize that abortion offends God far more than it does us. So if we get behind him in prayer and activism, we're going to win this thing. Absolutely. Amen. And and what what can people do, people who are concerned uh, about abortion in our society? Is there anything the average person can do? Yes, it's called get off their buttocks. <laughs> we can, everybody can do something. You can volunteer at a pregnancy resource center. You can pray one day during a campaign with 40 Days for Life. You can work in a maternity home as a volunteer. There are all kinds of things you can do. It's just do something. Don't just sit around and complain about the left um, don't, if you can't do something yourself, use some of your personal resources to help underwrite a ministry. Right. Everybody, if we get all hands on deck here, we can get something to do. Too many people just sit in their buttocks and move their lips. Well, you know, the, the very easiest thing to do is to write a check. I mean, there, there are thousands of pro-life centers around. You can find one in your neighborhood. And you can support them financially if you don't have time or the inclination to do anything else. And each contribution you make is saving a life. And that is so... Amen. Well, you know, you have been such a warrior, such an incredibly important voice. God has raised you up for a time like this. And we are very, very grateful for all the lives that you are saving. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me, Dr. Carson.
hope you enjoyed that fascinating discussion with Dr. Haywood Robinson, a man who went from being an abortionist to being on the front lines of the pro-life movement. And it's wonderful to see people appreciate the value of life and to celebrate that. And speaking of celebration, for your prescription, you know, we're from the month of July and the 4th of July, a time to celebrate. John Adams, our second uh, president, wrote to his wife, this date should be attended with all the pomp and circumstances of anything that we do. And uh, for your assignment, Let's celebrate. We've had a couple of years where we had to sort of lay low because of COVID. And uh, we need to teach our children the significance of our Independence Day, what went into gaining our independence, why our freedoms are so important to protect, and why we, the American people, are not each other's enemies and why we can't allow ourselves to be divided by political people who are simply seeking power for themselves. That's not what America is all about. So that's it for this week. Remember, Apple Podcasts, free of charge, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss any episodes. Rate us, review us, spread the word, about common sense. We really want to make common sense common once again. And don't forget our keys, our foundations, faith, liberty, community, and life. See you next week.